Hey everybody, this is Senior Pastor Joshua B. Carson saying thank you for tuning into the CT Podcast. We hope that your time here, whether you're driving down the road or whether you're sitting at home with a journal and listening in, we hope that it's effective. Maybe it'll be inspirational, encouraging, maybe it'll be thought-provoking. Regardless of what session you're listening to, we truly pray that this is a benefit to you and to your family. God bless and enjoy the podcast. So let's go on to session number three. This one, uh, this is a, a fun little session. I'll, I'll try not to be uh, too bad today. My wife's back there. I'll get in trouble in the car. But I, I remember, I, I kind of was thinking about this session because I had, a, uh, I had a professor at the seminary I went to. I loved him very much. He was one of my best friends. He tried to get my, uh, Brother uh, Henderson, where are you? Uh, he tried to get my uh, uh, a doctorate paid for. He tried to do very much, Brother Brother Henderson is one. The Lord's given him incredible favor, and uh, they're doing some wonderful things for him. It's wonderful to watch. Uh, but I, I remember I was in a class, and I, I walked in, and uh, what they would do for us uh, was we had to take quizzes. And, and the quizzes, Brother Marty, would be over the content of an entire book of the Bible. And so, and they were having me read like the NRSV, which is like, oh, God, thank you, Jesus. You know, it's missing verses and all sorts of issues, but I'll leave that alone. But I remember it's like, okay, uh, and they didn't even do it in order, like Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, all the way up. They, they did it in this weird order. So, about the sleep, I was, uh, <laughs> I'm reading the Gospel of Mark and studying, highlighting, trying to, you know, get the praising from there. And, and, uh, and I walk in and I'm like, hey, we're doing the quiz on Mark, right? And they're like, no, 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 that's not Mark. We're doing that in like two weeks or whatever it was. I'm like, oh, no. And so I walk in, I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bomb. And I flipped the, flip the quiz over on the desk and it was Axe. I'm like, score. I knew everything. I just filled it out. And then it was done. And then I look around and forgive me for, you know, I have wonderful friends like Mike Serblon, my wonderful Presbyterian pastor friend. And, uh, you know, uh, Mother Catherine, uh, Eastern Orthodox and lots of other people from all sorts of denominations. And they're over there sweating bullets, man, because they're like, I don't know. Did you know any of that? Because we're walking out for after because we get coffee. Thank God for breaks. And uh, so it's a three hour block. So right in the middle, we take a break and they're like, uh, did you know any of that? I didn't know any of that. Have you ever? And I'm like, I knew everything. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> and so I said to my professor, Dr. Allen, I said, uh, Dr. Allen, I said, I, I studied the wrong book. He said, oh, no, how did you do? I said, what was Acts? And he goes, oh, yeah, that's right. He says, you're Pentecostal. The book of Acts is your Bible. <laughs> I was like, well, we believe it's in the Bible. <laughs> You know, I was trying to be respectful. Perhaps some of these other churches could read occasionally from it, evidently. <laughs> but uh, what I want to do is I want to say, is water and spirit baptism only found uh, in the book of Acts? I'm going to show you that that's not the case. That when you look at the biblical pattern of initiation, becoming a part of the kingdom, uh, into covenant is consistent. Now, what does that mean, Brother Kilman? That when you take a together... Uh, in conjunction, Acts and the Epistles, it represents a, a united apostolic confession. All right, I'll prove it to you. So all due respect, if I have Dr. Allen today, I would say, let's see who's on my side of the issue, Dr. Allen. So let's go first of all to John 3. Imagine that. Uh, we're going to see where Jesus says in John 3, 5, Jesus answered, verily, verily, I say unto thee, everybody say singular, Except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. So this is an individual issue today. It's not what your parents do. 
It's not what your grandma, grandma and grandpa did. It's up to you uh, to be saved. He goes on to say, he, and, and we'll see that in verse 8, it's a repetition, but it's also an expansion of John uh, 3, 3. Now, what does that mean, Brother Kilman? He's saying that except a man be born again, he can't enter the kingdom of God. And then he says particularly what that is. It's born again of two pieces, water and spirit. Right Now, what Jesus is doing then is he's cementing this link of water and spirit baptism into a singular necessary experience. Now, I know you know that, but we're going we're gonna to show you what that uh, is. So let's look at uh, who's on my side. First of all is the Apostle John. All right, so even Barnabas lenders. Now, here's what I want to do. I'm going to use a lot. Turn to your neighbor and say, be patient. I'm going to use a lot of non-apostolic sources because I just want to do that to show that even experts in uh, New Testament studies admit that our view is right. I'm not arguing from authority because they have a degree. I'm just saying, Brother Faulkner, it's fascinating how many of people with degrees and that are experts in the field show that what we believe about what the Bible is saying is true. All right, so Barnabas Linders. Who is Bar Barnabas Linders, Brother Kilman? Uh, he studied at jo uh, St. John's College in Cambridge. He's an ordained Anglican priest, uh, taught at the University of Cambridge, and has served as the Rylands Professor of Biblical Criticism and Exegesis of the University of Manchester. Now, Dr. Allen, do you think he's qualified? Yes, he's qualified. Okay, what does he say? He says, <coughs> excuse me, John 3 refers to, everybody say, an act. That means one. An act, and that act can only be water baptism and the spirit which it conveys. Now, what is he saying? He's saying Jesus is on my side, and so is Barnabas Linders. He's saying that this is not natural birth. How many have heard that before? It's natural birth and then rebirth. No, 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 no. It's a single act that's a necessary for both. Now, I'm going to prove that even further. So uh, what does that uh, what looks like? Let me give you another one. This is... Uh, uh, Don Williford, he says, to be born of water and the Spirit represents one single act or event, not two, like a natural birth and then a, 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 a next day re-spiritual birth. So baptism of water cannot be about being naturally born. That's the argument some people make. Well, Brother Kilman, who is Don Williford? He's a, uh, a, a private, he teaches at a private Baptist university, 20 plus years on their faculty there, a PhD in New Testament studies. So guess what, Dr. Allen, he's on my side. And by the way, uh, so is John and Jesus, probably more important. I'll let you. All right, I'll give you another one. So he, uh, uh, be, being born of water and spirit is two parts of one thing. So uh, Belleville says it this way. Now who's Belleville? Got a PhD from the University of uh, Toronto. Uh, uh, contributor to the InterVarsity uh, Press's Women's uh, Bible Commentary and the Dictionary of Paul and his letters. All I'm saying is, here's another expert in the world uh, that is not like us. And, and then we're going to look at her, quote, Harris, who's uh, got a PhD from the University of uh, Manchester, studied under F.S. F. Bruce. Now, that doesn't mean anything to us, but to uh, people in a seminary somewhere that are studying all these things, they go, wow, those are heavyweights. Look at what uh, Belleville shows. In verse 5, born, there's a Greek word, uh, uh, I'm sorry, door, water and pneuma, spirit, are governed by a single preposition, X. Now, I know, I know, it's Greek. It's just, turn to your neighbor and say, Brother Kim was getting excited about grammar. It's just the word of God. 
okay? But I'm, I'm going to show you what that means. Water and spirit are governed by a single preposition of and conjoined by chi, which would be and, indicating that the phrase is to be viewed as what? A conceptual unity. These two things are one event. And he says, uh, water and a spirit. We are dealing, therefore, with a water spirit source that is the origin of man's second kinesis, second birth. How many of you want to be born again? Then you got to understand he's saying that this is two things. And there it is in the Greek. Uh, what he's saying is of water and spirit. That's why the King James has the second of in italics. It helps us understand it in English. But you ready? This link... Of and makes these two one thing. All right now, I'll prove it to you. Okay, turn. I'll try. Oh, 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 don't go past. So, ex udatas kai numitas. Of water and spirit. Notice not ex udatas kai ex numitas. So, if you wanted to make this natural birth and rebirth of the spirit, you'd have to have that other ex, that, that other of. But you don't have that. Now, now, I was talking to a good guy that I brought. Uh, to a Bible college. Brother Marty, he's a wonderful guy. I'm, I'm praying for him. I'm praying he comes back to the truth. He, he was making this argument. I'm no longer apostolic because I think that's natural birth and then birth of the Spirit. And I said to him, we'll call him Jack because that's not his name. I said, Jack, you can't do that. The Greek won't let you do that. These are two parts of one thing, not two things. You can't make it natural birth and then spiritual birth. It's two parts of one birth. And, and Jesus says that. And, all, and by the way, Dr. Allen... Dr. Belleville and Dr. Harris are on my side, not your side. Snarky, bad Bobby. Pray for my attitude. Hallelujah. All right. By the way, who else is on my side? Well, the Apostle Paul. And such were some of you. He writes to the Corinthian church in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, But ye, plural, like Mama Kilman would say from Tennessee, all of y'all in the church are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified. How? Two parts of one thing, in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Now, what does that mean? It's, it's not about baptism alone. It is baptism. And by the way, baptism the right way in the name of the Lord Jesus, but it's also that baptism of the Spirit conjoined in the phrase in the name of the Lord Jesus is by the Spirit of our God. And that means it's two parts of one thing. You're buried with Him, not them. In baptism, and by that, afterward, you get the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Well, let's look at another. Gordon Fee. Now, why talk about Gordon Fee, Brother Kilman? Uh, because if you know anything about uh, a study, Gordon Fee is, everybody say, Assembly of God. Uh, Brother Master, incredibly revered, uh, systematic, uh, uh, exegetical, rather, theologian in the Assembly of God. And even Gordon Fee, not apostolic, says these two prepositional phrases, baptism of water and spirit, Together, modify the verbs washed, sanctified, and justified. He's saying, if you want to be washed, sanctified, and justified, you need both. How many of you want to be washed? How many of you want to be sanctified? How many of you want to be justified? Then you got to have your baptism right, uh, in the name right, and you also have to have the baptism of the Spirit. Both prepositions in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God modify all three. But when you're baptized in Jesus' name and you receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost, you're washed, you're sanctified, and you're justified. How do, who's on my side? The Apostle Paul. All due respect, Dr. Allen. 
right? Uh, so uh, again, in Titus chapter three, verses five and six, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. How? By the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. That's John three, water and spirit baptism again, right there uh, in Titus three. Even Carl Judson. Now who's Carl Judson? Professor of Greek at Bryan uh, University. Uh, he's got a PhD in biblical studies from the University of Sheffield. And uh, uh, he's a member of the Evangelical Theological Society. And guess what, Dr. Allen? He's on my side, not yours. <laughs> Carl Judson links this verse with what? Acts 2.38. Turn to your neighbor and say, we've been right. Acts, noting it refers to baptism uh, and the infilling of the Spirit. Now, I'll go fast today. 1 Corinthians 12, 11. What does the Apostle Paul says? For by one spirit are we all baptized into one body. The only way you can be in the body is to be baptized into it. Uh, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been made to drink into one spirit. Again, that's water baptism and the spirit illusion uh, right there. Being dunked in water and drinking in the spirit. Even James Dunn. Who's James Dunn? James Dunn is a Baptist theologian. Uh, and and uh, incredible writer, people wrestle with him all the time. And, and when you look at his book, uh, The Theology of Paul, uh, you have the reference right there. He says, yeah, this is baptism and baptism in the spirit. You just got to admit it, that they're right, all due respect. As a matter of fact, one of our, uh, one of our ministers went to the, uh, ooh, I shouldn't name where they went. They went to a place where they talk about stuff theologically. <laughs> and he says, uh, James Dunn is on our side of this issue. He's like, oh, no, no, James Dunn's not on your side. He said, no, no. If you read his book, Baptism uh, of the Holy Spirit, he says uh, that salvation is repentance, uh, baptism in the name of the Lord or the Lord Jesus or the uh, name of Jesus Christ and and some type of charismatic expression. You might as well just admit it's tongues. And and they said, no, James Dunn. We know James Dunn. And so they're like, you know, are you saying that the book of Acts teaches this? And they're like, yeah, that's what I'm saying. (gasps) But you know, you know these People, these wondrous people, they teach this. He goes, yeah, he says, they, I know that. He says like, well, well, are you saying we're, well, why wouldn't you want to be, are you, are you biblical? <laughs> then they're writing books about him and trying to shoot him down. And it's tough because his, his argument's ironclad. So when you look at all these passages, do we get our, all due respect to my wonderful professor at seminary, do we get our doctrine only from the book of Acts? No, and that's just the smattering of verses. Those are the verses that are about water and spirit baptism. You can get all sorts of references where we're baptized into Christ, that it is who in you, Christ in you, the hope of glory. But I'll leave all that alone today. All I want you to see is when you look at these epistles, and now we're going to look at the book of Acts, you'll see that all of them say it's water and baptism, uh, water and spirit uh, essentiality. So let's look at the book of Acts, because guess what, Dr. Allen? Uh, Luke is on my side too. Hallelujah. Let's look at Acts 2, 8, uh, 10, and 19. Now, you could add 22 there, uh, but here's what I want you to do. How many of you want to be a good, strong witness? Here's what I would challenge you to do. Learn this as a mantra. Acts 2, 8, 10, 19. And just rehearse that until you can say it. And when you get uh, to the place where you can rehearse that, you can just open your Bible and go to Acts chapter 2, and there's Jesus' name, baptism. 8, 10, 19 and 22, if you want to add that extra. And you can see where baptism in the book of Acts is Jesus' name, baptism. Now, what we have to say is Acts 2 is critical. Why is it critical, Brother Kilman? Because that's where the Spirit is first poured out. And because that's the first time it's poured out, it's the marker. It's the standard. 
And, and it's the standard for what uh, the rest of the book talks about. So for instance, well, let me, let me get to it because uh, I'm, I'm going to quote somebody else. Uh, uh, so uh, note the commonalities that Acts 8, 10, and 19 has with Acts 2. Baptism and reception of the Spirit were both a part of entrance into the uh, covenant. They had to have both. Okay, well, I'm going to prove that to you. Second, people may receive the Spirit before they're baptized, right? So Acts chapter 10, the Holy Ghost falls on them at Cornelius' house. But they might not. They might get it after baptism. But both are expected. Right? So he says, oh, you got the Holy Ghost, we don't need to baptize you. No, 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 it's not what he said. He took him out and baptized his household. And then thirdly, when the Spirit was given, it was accompanied by speaking in tongues. And if you're saying, well, Brother Kilman, I've never spoken in tongues yet. It's okay. You keep worshiping and reaching out until faith until God baptizes you with his Spirit. Right now, uh, I wish I had time. Help me, Jesus. All right, so I'm going I'm to quote somebody, Dr. David L. Cooper. He's got a theological master's, a uh, a doctorate in philosophy, a PhD, and then he's got a literary doctorate. Now, why quote him? Because, Dr. Allen, he's an expert and he's on my side. <laughs> he says, when you look at the book of Acts, uh, especially Acts chapter 2, you've got to apply a principle called the law of first mention. What is the law of first mention, Brother Kilman? It means an author in the same book doesn't have to mention in full detail something that they've already done. So if I tell you today, if you couldn't tell, <laughs> Brother Scott, I believe uh, Acts 2.38 uh, shows us how to be saved, that you should repent of your sins, that you should be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for remission of those sins, and that you'll be filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, evidenced by speaking in tongues. When I say that, do I have to later say, I believe that baptism is essential, and you have to be baptized in Jesus' name to be saved? Does that mean I don't believe in repentance anymore? Does that mean I don't believe in being filled with the Spirit anymore? No, because in the same lesson, I'm saying something that's alluding back to what I've already iterated. You got it? That's called the law of first mention. It means a person that's, uh, every time you mention something about salvation, you don't have to say it all over again. All right? So even Dr. Cooper admits that that's the case. So when you look at Acts 2.38, that is the paradigm. But let's look at these other passages. Acts chapter 8, the revival in Samaria. Now, it's fascinating. Now, this is going to be a tool, hopefully a Bible study that you can use with a seeker. The Lord's going to put somebody in your life, and I believe he's going to do it. There's going to be a hungry family member, a hungry friend at work, a hungry neighbor that the Lord is going to put you in contact with, and you're going to be able to use some of these tools to help them understand the steps that they need to take to further love the Lord and obey him. So what's fascinating about the Samaritans is the Bible says that they believed they were baptized, and yet they had not received the Spirit. Now, now, why point that out, Brother Kilman? Because when you look at Acts chapter 8, that paradigm is interesting because there are men, many uh, non-apostolic Pentecostals. Everybody say, our friends that we love. And much like uh, the Bible talks about Apollos, uh, he was mighty in the Scriptures knowing only the baptism of John. The Bible says that Priscilla and Aquila, that lady preacher and uh, the husband preacher, that team, that ministry team, take him aside and explain the way of the Lord more uh, uh, perfectly to him. So that's what we're going to do. The Lord's going to use us to do that. And uh, uh, so non-apostolic Pentecostals tend to say uh, some false things, uh, trying to make sense of the Bible uh, based on their experience instead of, Uncle Don, what the Bible actually says. So here's the first claim that some people will say. It's a false claim. 
Baptism in the Spirit is after conversion. It's an extra gift. It's like having a spare tire. You don't need it, but it's nice to have. Okay, so they would say the baptism of the Holy Ghost is a second thing that's an empowerment to witness. It's not necessary for salvation. So uh, when you repent and you believe and you're baptized, some people say just when you believe, you have the Holy Ghost. Some people say when you repent, believe, and are baptized, you have the Holy Ghost. Now, uh, we're going to show that the Bible teaches that that is not the case. The second false claim is some people say the converts at Samaria were only waited to be empowered for witness. Shall be my witnesses. That's true, Acts 1 and 8. Uh, But you can't witness unless you're born again. I love what the old timers used to say. God didn't come to make good men better. Come to make dead men alive. (laughs) So dead people can't be a witness. They have to be born again uh, of the water and the spirit. Now, the scripture refutes this claim. How do you know, Brother Kilmer? Because of Acts 8.16, it clearly says of these Samaritans that the spirit was fallen upon how many of them? None of them, only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So they're already baptized. They're waiting on this other aspect of salvation uh, to be born again. All right, so you could, uh, uh, since that's the case, scripturally, uh, saying these types of claims cannot work. First of all, that it is a uh, further empowerment. That doesn't work. doesn't match the claim of the scripture because they don't have the spirit yet. Secondly, that the Samaritans were not truly converted. No, they believed in Jesus and were baptized. Now, they were not converts yet, but saying that they had some type of false confession that had to be true later is not the case. I don't, uh, that's stretching the text. Or that one receives the Spirit at the point of initial faith, just belief or baptism. Nope, they were believed and were baptized. They're waiting on receiving the Spirit. Or suggesting, well, this is just an exception. You know what exceptions do? They break rules. So that's not a rule. All right, so what does that mean, Brother Kilman? I'm going to give you a great little Bible study that you can teach one of your friends that are a seeker. You can say, here are six things the Bible teaches that don't save you. They're good, but they don't save you. What are the six things that don't save you, Brother Kilman? This is what Simon has already seen. I can get that to work. Uh, first of all, inspired preaching. I believe in inspired preaching. Uncle Don, need a preacher. They're saved through the foolishness of preaching. How many of you believe the Bible? That's why preaching is the primary thing. If you seek first things first, you get second things thrown in. But the primary thing that God has chosen to save is uh, preaching, the foolishness of preaching. That's why it's the most important thing uh, in the church. Second is demons are cast out. Acts chapter 7, verse 7. Brother Sleva, they got preaching, demons are being cast out, but the Spirit's not falling on them yet. That's wonderful. Thirdly, the miracles are Philip. Lots of miracles. It's wonderful. How many love miracles, believe in miracles? They're gifts from God to help us. But that doesn't mean that they're saved. Fourthly, they have great joy. When somebody repents of their sin, they're going to have great joy. When somebody believes in Jesus and they're baptized in his name, they're going to have great joy. But the Bible says the Spirit hadn't fallen on them yet. They believed. Acts 8, 12. That's not qualified. These are true believers. Now, what are you saying, Brother Kilman? Now, here's what you're doing when you're sharing your faith with people. Sometimes in their own church, they will say, well, I believed I have the Spirit. Well, not according to Acts 8. You can believe and not have the Spirit fall on you yet. So the Spirit doesn't come at belief. It comes at something else. What is it? Uh, They were baptized. And by the way, baptized the 
right way. But they're not saved yet because none of them have received the Spirit. All right? So these six things, while good and right, and a part of what God does by His Spirit, doesn't save. You need not only water baptism, you need spirit baptism. All right, so uh, what does that mean, Brother Kimball? Well, let's look at what James Dunn. Again, everybody say Baptist. James Dunn says, it is a fair assumption that for Luke, the Samaritan Pentecost, like the first Christian Pentecost, was marked by ecstatic glossolalia. I love it, uh, Brother Denny, when Pentecostals try to talk about, non-Pentecostals try to talk about Pentecostal stuff. <laughs> ecstatic glossolalia. What does that mean? It means they spoke in tongues, man. And later, I was reading one guy, and he was like, the speaking in tongues. I'm like, ah, that's such an awkward phrase. Uh, my one, same professor, I love him to death, Brother Sleeva. He was talking about, he's going, forgive me for this aside. You guys okay? So uh, he was uh, uh, talking about, like, the gifts of the Spirit. Fascinating. Doesn't speak in tongues at all. I love him to death. He's a wonderful friend to me. But he was up there, and he was like, you know, word of knowledge, word of faith, word of wisdom. All the, and he was doing pretty good because he was looking at the... Uh, the words and studying the words, etymology. What does it mean and where did it come from? And he's doing pretty good. And, and then all of us watching, all my Presbyterian friends, my Baptist friends, Brother Mike, uh, they're like, well, what, what was that? What did you do this? What? And finally, he just kind of in exasperation says, well, if you really want to know, ask Bobby back there. They actually do this at his church. Like, That's true. How many of you glad we don't just talk about stuff? We really have the Lord working by his spirit in our midst to help us be the church. And you can only be the church by being alive in the spirit. Can't do the can't do uh, spiritual work in the flesh. You got to do it by the Spirit of God. And even James Dunn, all due respect, Doctor Allen, he's on my uh, side. Uh, uh, how about Acts chapter ten? We're close. Turn to your neighbor. Say we're close. This is the Gentiles being saved at the house of Cornelius. Right? You had this Roman centurion, and what we're going to see is the pattern is. Uh, Repeated there. Acts 10, 44 through 45 says, While Peter yet spake these words, he's preaching Jesus. Christological confession. They got to know about Jesus. How can they believe in whom they have not heard? How can they uh, believe without a preacher? How can they preach except they be sent? Turn to your neighbor and say, Hopefully the Lord is in you. And you're going to preach Jesus. And, and the Holy Ghost fell on all of them which heard the word, and they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. Now, I don't know why. Amos 9 was quoted on the day of Pentecost. They still got to wrap their brain around, wow, this is the Gentiles being included for the first time, Acts 10. Uh, as many as came with Peter, because on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now, what does that mean? Peter preached Jesus. They believed. Consequently, the Spirit fell on them while they believe. Now, now, what does that mean? When you go to Acts chapter 11, uh, uh, the apostle was called on the mat. Peter's called on the mat. Why did you go into that Gentile house? Because uh, the New Testament church is still wrestling with Judaism, uh, Judaism's false teaching about associating with Gentiles. All due respect. Not what the Old Testament taught, but what Judaism came to teach. And this is what Acts 11 says. P Peter, this is his defense. He's, he didn't say, but God, I'm an apostle, uh, Brother Muse, because... Well, I don't want to get into ecclesiology, but uh, the pastor is the authority in the church. All local, uh, the local church is given the ability to affirm and to punish. And by the way, that means apostles. Pastors uh, rule the church. Uh, so, for as much then as God gave them the like gift, Peter says. He gave them the like gift. How? As he did unto us who believed. Just like we got it in Acts 2, they got it. 
It's like, well, uh, where does it say that they spoke in tongues, Brother Kilman? I know they got the baptism in Jesus' name, right? And, and what, Peter says, what was I that I could withstand God? He goes, so it was the first time they've heard of Jesus. Secondly, they were converted. Uh, or they were unconverted, rather. Who shall tell thee, this is the angel speaking to Cornelius, uh, words whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Everybody say future tense. So he, he's reaching, he's hungry, but he's not saved yet. Thirdly, but faith, repentance, and the reception of the Spirit is still not enough. Why? Because Peter commanded them. Everybody say commanded. That, now, he's a military man. He understands what commands are because he's a, a centurion. Commanded them to be baptized in the name of the Lord. And, of course, Jesus' name, baptism, essentiality. And then, fifthly, God shows Peter and these Jewish people wrestling with this understanding of the inclusion of the Gentiles that the Spirit is poured out on them. How do you know, Brother Kilman? How is it clear? Acts 10 wraps up with, for they heard them what? Speak with tongues and magnify God. That's how you know. Old-timers used to say, you know, you got the Holy Ghost. It's kind of like getting shoes. The two tongues come with it. Hallelujah. All right, let's go, uh, yeah, oh, we have to hurry. Uh, Acts 19, last one. This is, again, the paradigm or the overall arch of the book of Acts. Some people would say, yeah, but when you look at Acts 19, you had the 12 disciples of John. They bump into uh, the apostle uh, Paul, and, and he says, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believe? They're like, uh, what's that? And he's like, uh, immediately, Brother Mikey thinks, hmm, something's wrong with their baptism. Because if you really believe in Jesus and you have that Christological confession, you should know what this spirit thing is. And so he says, how were you baptized? Because he immediately says, something's wrong with their baptism. And, 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 he, and so he, uh, the receiving of the spirit uh, is not only these things. People say, well, they were believers prior to contact with Paul. Yeah, in John's baptism, but that's not enough to be a part of the new things God is, God is doing, the church. Secondly, some people would suggest, well, Brother Kilman, receiving the Spirit was only empowerment for mission. No, no, we're going to see that that's wrong uh, too based on the Bible. Why? It's untenable because at the end of the day, Paul's question was, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? That means they don't have the Holy Ghost. They don't even know what it is. So they can't be saved. Right? So uh, how, how does that work, Brother Kilman? Okay, I'll hurry. Uh, oh, yes, why not? William Menzies. Who is William Menzies? Uh, he's, the, uh, he's got a great little book called Spirit and Power, Foundations of Pentecostal Experience. Everybody say Assembly of God. Not apostolic. Uh, he was a consulting editor for uh, Christianity Today. He's taught at the Evangel, uh, Evangel University Assembly of God Theological Seminary. So this is what he says. He's correct. He says, the potential separation of belief from reception of the Spirit is implicit in the question. He says, Paul says, you can be a believer and not have the Spirit yet. Now, remember, that's important because some people teach. Everybody say, good people. They, they say you receive the Spirit at belief. Not according to the Apostle Paul. How many of you want to be apostolic? All that means is I want to be biblical. I want to be like the apostles, what they taught and what Jesus taught. All right, so uh, uh, what does that uh, I mean? So is it a second experience after salvation? No, it can't be that. How do you know, Brother Kilman? First of all, these disciples had not even heard of the gift of the Spirit. 
Second, he treats them as people in the process of salvation because he has to preach Jesus to them. So their baptism and receiving of the spirits are necessary parts of entrance into the church, this new covenant. And, and Paul first baptized them in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them. How do you know? And they spake with tongues and prophesied. Because again, uh, that's, that's a, a, the sign. So here's what we're looking at. These four narratives and, and the epistles show these common elements, both baptism in Jesus' name and being filled with the Spirit uh, was uh, necessary uh, to salvation. Peter's acts then, or his actions on, in Acts chapter 2, are foundational because Jesus says, uh, I'm going to give you the theme of how the church is going to unfold in the book of Acts. But ye shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Acts 2, and all Judea, uh, 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 and that's the ex uh, expansion of Acts 2 forward, to Acts chapter 8 and in Samaria, and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. Acts chapter 10 is the Gentiles. That's the first step into the uttermost, where they go all over the Gentile world uh, sharing the faith. Now this is yeah, third, and we're, we're just about done. Last slide. Glory to God. What we're saying is when you look at what the Apostle Peter proclaims, it shows the fulfillment happening on the day of Pentecost. The Spirit is poured out. And then Jerusalem, Samaria, and to the first Gentile, like I just said. And the Bible shows that Peter's message is paradigmatic. Turn to your neighbor and say, there's another word. It means it's the paradigm. Uh, paradigm is like a... a the overarching, uh, it's hard, but Herbst, it's like the overarching theological standard. It has to be underneath that. If it doesn't mirror that, it's not what God wants for us. If it doesn't imitate, if it doesn't follow, be, uh, Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 1, follow me. That the Greek word is mimite. Uh, we get our English word mimic. You need to mimic the apostles. If what's happening on the day of Pentecost is not happening in your church, uh, then you got to change churches. Why? Because I'm looking to follow. I'm looking to be a follower. I'm looking to be a disciple, a mimicker. I want to have the same thing that they had as what I want to have. That's why we repent and baptize people in Jesus' name and pray with them until that heavenly language comes out of them and they're filled with the baptism of the Holy Ghost and they have the capacity to walk in the newness of life. Why would you ever want to stop short of what God has for the church. Would you slip your hand up and just say, Lord, we thank you for revelation that we really are the people of the name. We belong to you, God. You own us. That You've redeemed us when we have made that confession of who you are and what you did on the cross. That you died for us. That you really are the lamb. And we want to be washed in the blood of the lamb. So we want to be baptized in Jesus' name. I want you to wash us, Lord. If there's somebody here, help them to cry out by faith and say, I want him to be my sacrifice, my priest, and my king. And be baptized in that wonderful name that's above every name. The name of Jesus. And then that you would fill us by your spirit so that we could walk in the power of the newness of life. You've given everything that we need to be who you want us to be. We give you praise for it. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Amen.